Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Church, so good to see you. Good morning. Hey, let me share one other thing. It's an exciting story. Thank you, Tyler, for letting us share your story. I think we call this in church life a miracle. I mean, doctor language is you got a 1% shot. That's doctor language for miracle. And uh, God still does that. I want to introduce also a friend of mine from 25 years ago when we were just a couple of peon police officers working for KCPD. I went on to become Pastor Phil. He went on to become Major Scott Karen. Would you give it up for my friend, Major Karen? Thank you. He was uh, just whispering something to me before I got up here. I told him, sorry, got to go. I was looking at the same video, 15 seconds left, got to go. This is what he was saying. When our church began praying for Tyler, that's when things began to change. So Major Karen sent a text to Vaughn Baker, who's a member of our church. Vaughn sent a text to me. I sent a text to others. We began praying. And according to Major Karen, that's when things began to change. And God does those kinds of things. But the greatest miracle, maybe of all time, is the one that we celebrate every December. That 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men, so the sons of men could be forgiven of their sin, be born again, become like him. I don't have babies in my house anymore. I miss having babies in my house, which means I have to hold other people's babies because I don't have any of my babies. Would you meet little Will? Little Will. Thank you for letting me hold your baby. I wish I had some of my own these days. So Will is actually the grandson of William Ward, the son of William Ward. Meet William Ward. He's not the third. He has a different middle name. But it's still a very distinguished name, don't you think, for little Will? So, Will, I'm just glad that you're tolerating me. You won't remember a thing when this is over. (laughs) They'll have to tell you about it later in life. You know the amazing wonder of Christmas? The God of galaxies came in infancy, came as a baby. He that was from infinity came in infancy. The power of God wrapped in pampers. (laughs) What is it about this baby born 2,000 years ago that the world still remembers? That's what we're going to talk about today and for the next four weeks. I'm going to give little Will back to Mama because he is tolerating me so far. And I'm getting practice someday. All you grandmas and grandpas, you're like, Phil, are you a grandpa yet? I say, no. And then you whip out your pictures of your grandbabies and start bragging. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm going to get you back one day. I'll be able to whip out my phone and say, here, see this someday. Would you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and then John chapter 1? We've entitled the series, Wish. Do you have a Christmas wish? I'm going to get to the end of the series, and I'm going to share with you God's wish. And what we're doing is an acronym. It's an acrostic. Today, I want to talk about the wonder of creation. Now, somebody told me, Phil, acrostics are so 90s. 
Okay, so I'm a 90s kind of kid, all right? We're going 90s, all right? But it's an acrostic, and I hope that you have a Christmas wish, something you're hoping and putting your trust in that only God can do, because that's always what God does, and he wants to do it for you. And I want you to see today that really the wonder of Christmas begins with the wonder of creation, And that's what we're going to do. We're going to back up to the beginning and talk about the wonder of creation because sometimes we talk about Christmas and we just kind of parachute in the middle of this great story. You understand, all of history is his story. It's his story of redemption on a fallen creation and the ruin of sin. And from the ruin of sin, God is bringing about redemption and restoration of all things. And sometimes when we talk about Christmas, and we just talk about Christmas, you know, honestly, that's like opening up a great book, a novel, and starting right in the beginning, or right in the middle. And you're opening up this middle, and you don't really know what's going on because you haven't read the front. You don't really know the ending. And sometimes that's why we have a hard time connecting Christmas to what God is actually doing. What is it about Christmas that we celebrate? Why does it even matter? And we can't really understand the significance of this baby, this infant, and Mary, and the nativity if we don't start with the beginning. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start with the wonder of creation, Genesis 1 and verse 1, the very first chapter of the very first book and the very first verse in the Bible begins this way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, it's amazing how controversial that one verse is. I mean, we are one verse into the Bible, and it's amazing how much that one verse causes debate. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Either he did or he didn't. Either it's true or it isn't. And let's be honest, if this verse isn't true, then we don't need to read any of the rest either. But I am personally convinced that it's true, and quite frankly, I think it's logical and rational to conclude that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The reality is it's not scientifically possible for something to come from nothing. It's just the reality. It's irrational to try to conclude that everything you see could have popped into existence from nothingness. It's scientifically an impossibility for something to come from nothing. I realize people add billions and billions and billions of years to it, but remember, billions and billions and billions and billions times nothing still equals class nothing. You know what? Science has actually traced back the origins of the universe using a scientific law called, it's called called the law of cause and effect. And scientists are able to actually trace back the origins of the universe using the scientific law of cause and effect. And they actually can trace back those origins back through time to the very beginning, in the beginning. And they can find this effect and then trace it to a cause. And then this effect and then trace it to a cause. And this effect and trace it to a cause. But when they go back far enough, they can see the effect, but they cannot find the cause. Now, when I was in school, I don't know what they're teaching now. When I was in school, they called it the Big Bang. I have no problem whatsoever with the Big Bang. Because I personally think, in all probability, when God created the heavens and the earth, it probably made a Big Bang. I have no problem with that whatsoever. 
What I do know is that the natural universe cannot be explained purely through naturalistic causes. Scientists know the universe is not eternal. At one time, uh, people thought the universe was eternal, but they've learned now scientifically it had to have a beginning. The law of entropy says it has a finite amount of energy, and if it was eternal, it would have burned out. Uh, if it had a beginning, it would have burned out long, long ago. And so the implication is the universe had to have a beginning, which means it had to have a beginner. And we learn who the beginner is. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now this, this, this name God is very interesting, found over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. It's the name Elohim. God has several different names he goes by in the Old Testament because he is so infinite, one name cannot capture the essence of who he is. This name is the most common name, Elohim. Now, in the Hebrew, El is the word for God. But this is not El, it's Elohim. And this word for God, Elohim, this name of God is not El as in singular, but Elohim captures the Godhead. It's the plurality. He is one God. It's the Trinity existing in three persons. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, verse 2 is packed. I don't have time to explain everything going on here, but there's more going on here than meets the eye. Did you know this word was in the, in the earth was is the Hebrew word haitha. Everybody say haitha. Everybody online go haitha. You just spoke Hebrew. Do you feel smarter now? Yeah, haitha. This word haitha is translated over and over again. If you got your Bible concordance and you see this word, very common word, dozens and dozens of times, it's translated over and over again as became, 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 became. What you can read here is the earth became without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Something made it become without form and void, and darkness is now on the face of the deep. Now, it's not that this is a wrong translation, was, but think about the word was in English. It captures the, like, became. Like, if I say, wow, did you see that guy? That was an old guy. I'm not pointing to anyone specific. Relax, okay? I'll point. That was an old guy. I don't have anybody in view here. He's saying, hey, he's calling me old. That was an old guy. I'm not saying he was always an old guy. I'm not saying he was born an old guy. What am I saying? He became old. He wasn't always old. If I say, man, did you see that truck? That was an old truck. I'm not saying that truck was always old. It used to be new. I'm saying it became old through the process of time. See, that's the nature of Haitha. And now you begin to see what happens here, that the earth was or became without form and void, and darkness is on the face of the deep. How is darkness already introduced to God's creation in verse 2 of chapter 1 of the very first book of the Bible? 1 John 1, 5, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Where did this darkness come from? Listen very carefully. The attribute of God is light. In fact, Hebrews 9 says he's an all-consuming fire. Every time he shows up in Scripture, it's as a bright white light. This isn't just metaphorical. This is literal. If indeed God is light, in him is no darkness at all. And the only thing that existed in eternity past, and at this time in the beginning was God, then where did the darkness come from? Because God is light, in him is no darkness at all, which means when there's only God, there's only light. There's only light. 
There is no night. There is no darkness. No, what we see here in chapter 2 is something subjected God's creation to ruin already. I'm talking about Satan's rebellion, this one in Ezekiel 28, who was called the anointed cherub, perfect from the days that he was created. He has rebelled against God. He's known as Lucifer, Isaiah 14 and verse 12, the light bearer of God, the shining one or the day star. And God has now judged his sin with darkness, which is why in Ephesians 6, 12, he's called the ruler of darkness. You see, by, by verse two, the universe is already at war. But God has a plan. He's bringing cosmos from the chaos of Lucifer's rebellion. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, if that were not true, in terms of Satan rebelling against God and God judging his sin with darkness, then in verse 3, God would not have had to say, let there be light, because he is light. And the only thing there would have been was light. He would have had to say, let there be darkness. But he doesn't. He says, let there be light, and there was light. And he begins dividing the light from the darkness, and he's continuing to do it to this day. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Notice he doesn't call the darkness good. He calls the light good because the darkness isn't good. Every time the sun descends and night descends and the darkness descends, it is a reminder that there is sin in God's creation, that there is sin in God's universe. And one day, according to Revelation 22, the Bible comes full circle as it was in eternity past, it will be in eternity future. Guess what it says in Revelation 22? There will be no more night no more darkness, there will be only eternal day because it will be the sun, the S-O-N, not the S-U-N, but the sun who will give light to all in that kingdom eternally, eternal day. Verse five, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And this is what I want you to remember as we see the wonder of creation to really understand the wonder of Christmas. The apostle Paul reminds us of something in Romans one and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God is saying no one will have an excuse one day to stand before him and say, God, I didn't know. God, I couldn't see you. God, I couldn't find you. If you just would have revealed yourself to me, I would have believed. You know what God is saying? They're going to be without excuse because the only evidence you need to know there is a creator is creation itself. The apostle Paul says, for from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, in other words, the things that you cannot see about God is revealed by the things that you can see in creation, even his Godhead, the triune nature, that God is one God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's the Godhead. And what Paul is saying is even the Godhead is imprinted on creation. In other words, creation is the evidence of where God has been. Like when I was a cop back in the 90s, I would show up once in a while to the scene of a crime and you start looking for clues. Like the guy you're looking for is gone. You can't see him, but he leaves evidence behind. Sometimes there'd be a footprint. Sometimes there'd be a fingerprint. And guess what? God has used creation for his fingerprint, his thumbprint, his footprint. You see, he has revealed himself to us, even his triune nature. Did you know that everything in the universe 
comes in threes. Everything God has created, all that he has made. Remember, he's a triune God. The creation itself bears the image of the Godhead. The architect, the intellect bears his image. All of creation, think about it. We live in a three-dimensional time and space. There's past, present, and future. Space is height, width, and depth. Everything around us, matter comes in three forms, solids, liquids, gas. Did you know there are three types of light rays that come from the sun? Visible light, infrared light, ultraviolet light. Everything comes in threes for a reason because it's an image of the Godhead. Did you know that even the smallest particles of the universe bear the image of the triune nature of God, atoms themselves, protons, neutrons, electrons? Now what's amazing, there are still people who say, oh, that just happened randomly, that just happened coincidentally. Francis Crick, who was the co-discoverer of DNA, who was an atheist, was on record of saying this, you've seen the design of DNA I mean, here's a scientist who sees the design of creation, the co-founder of DNA. He's on record of saying these words, we as scientists must continually remind ourselves that all of this evolved randomly. Well, if you have to remind yourself that it all evolved randomly, maybe, just maybe, It didn't happen randomly. Maybe there really is an intellect behind all the design. That's what Romans 1.20 says. Not only do we see that you and I bear the image of God. Remember what God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. I'm going to make him like us. We're three and one. We're going to make him three and one. People say, well, Pastor Phil, I can understand the Trinity. Of course you can. You are one. You have a body. You have a soul. You are, have a spirit. You're three in one as a born-again child of God. God is three in one. He's made you three in one. All that God has done, he's made in threes to bear the image of the architect, the mind, and the design of the designer of the universe. Now, not only does he want you to see the design, but he wants you to see how big he is, just how awesome he is. He is a God of wonders, absolutely remarkable. What you're looking at here is the deepest look into outer space the human eye has ever seen. This is taken from the Hubble telescope, and we're talking about billions and billions of light years away. This is not animation. This is real video. This is real pictures taken from Hubble. And what you're looking at here are not stars. What you're looking at here are galaxies. Do you know astronomers tell us there are billions and billions and billions of galaxies like our Milky Way galaxy and within each of those billions and billions of galaxies there are billions and billions and billions of stars. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and of these billions and billions of galaxies there is our Milky Way galaxy. This is a snapshot of our little subsection of the universe, our little subdivision of the galaxy, known as the Milky Way. And did you know astronomers tell us there are at least 300 billion stars just in the Milky Way galaxy? And what they tell us is that if you could count one star a second, 
in the Milky Way galaxy, it would take 2,500 years, counting one star a second, 2,500 years before you counted all the stars of the Milky Way galaxy. Think about that for just a moment. I don't know if you can see it from where you sit, but what I see here are stars that almost looks like the sands of the seashores. I mean, they are almost innumerable. If you could count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 23, 24, 5, 6, 28, 29, 30. I better stop right there. Numbers are going to get too high. If you could do that for 2,500 years without stopping, only then might you finally count all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. I want you to see we live in the Milky Way. And uh, where we are, in our little subdivision of the universe, and our little cul-de-sac, we're, we're way down here, kind of two-thirds of the way down. This is our little solar system, planet Earth. I want you to notice something. We're not even the center of our own galaxy. We act like, as human beings, we're the center of the universe. I mean, this is the time we live, the ultimate selfie society. We act like we are the center of the world, the center of the universe, and it's all about me and the selfie society. We're not even the center of our own galaxy. You know what it says in James chapter 4 and verse 14? Life is but a vapor here for a little while, then vanishing away. You know what that means? Our lives are but a speck of dust on the carpet. And our solar system is but a speck of dust on the carpet of this universe full of billions and billions and billions of galaxies, full of billions and billions and billions of solar systems. Now, do you want to see yourself? I hope you want to see yourself, and I'm going to show yourself right now from 3.8 billion miles away. So in 1977, NASA launched Voyager to take pictures of our solar system as it passed by each of the planets and send those pictures back. It had been going for 13 years at a rate of 40,000 miles an hour. As it was about to leave our solar system, NASA sent it a message to turn around and send back one last picture to planet Earth. And this is what Voyager sent from 3.8 billion miles away. Can you see planet Earth? If you can't see planet Earth, this is what it looks like from 3.8 billion miles away. Very famous picture you can see today on the NASA website. It's called the pale blue dot. There we are. What you're seeing here is these streaks of light is sunlight bouncing off Voyager. There we are from 3.8 billion miles away. Absolutely remarkable. What's remarkable to me is that it was on this pale blue dot that God would put the crowning jewel of his creation. The crowning jewel of his creation would be a man by the name of Adam, a woman by the name of Eve. And it was through them that he would establish a kingdom of image bearers that would be like him to bear his image. And it says this in Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Remember the triune image of God. 
And look what it says. It says in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created him, male and female, he created them, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it. And I want you to see that's exactly what God did. God made Adam, like him, a triune being, Genesis 2 and verse 7. It says, and God made Adam of the dust of the ground, there's your body, breathed into him the breath of life, there's your spirit, and then it says man became a living soul, body, soul, spirit, and God tells Adam, I want you to fill the earth with my image that I want you to take your seed in the intimacy with your bride Eve, and I want you to have lots and lots of babies, but not just any kinds of babies. No, listen very carefully. This wasn't just a physical commission. It was a spiritual commission. Adam was to reproduce other sons of God. And when you go, for example, Luke chapter two, and you look at the genealogy of Jesus, Luke traces Jesus' genealogy clear back to Adam. And if you go to that genealogy in Luke chapter two, it'll say so-and-so the son of so-and-so, so-and-so the son of so-and-so, so-and-so the son of so-and-so. Then it gets back to Adam, and it says Adam the son of God, because he was created in the very image and likeness of God to establish a kingdom of other image bearers that would bear the image of God, an earthly kingdom. Have you ever wondered why there's so much out there? I'm talking the cosmos. I'm talking all those galaxies with the billions of stars and the billions of solar systems. I'll tell you why. Because Adam fulfilled his commission, Adam's race would not have simply filled planet earth and then done nothing. Think about this for a moment. Had Adam not sinned, he would have given life to his posterity, all of humanity in complete immortality. He was to make babies who would grow up and make babies who'd grow up and make babies and all of those babies would live forever. How long would it have taken for Adam's race to overpopulate the earth? Do you think God hadn't thought about that? I don't know what I'm going to do now. No, he thought about that. Hello. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth for this kingdom that will one day be established in the sons of Adam. But God told Adam, there's this one thing, don't eat of this tree in the middle of the garden. You know that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree. And the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And the rest is history. He ate of that tree and creation is still reeling. Now people ask, well, Pastor Phil, why would God have even given Adam a choice if God knew ahead of time that Adam would sin and with sin would come ruined? You understand, we live in a world of suffering and pain and death, destruction, depression for one reason, because of sin, all of sin has wreaked havoc on God's creation, no longer is in a thing and place of protection and a place of provision and a place of perfection. Oh, it says in Romans 5 and verse 12, that as by one man's sin, Adam, death entered the world, so death passed on all men for all have sinned. How many of you someday going to get to heaven and you're going to find Adam? Yeah, I've got some words I'm going to have with Adam. Like, man, what were you thinking? But here's the deal. Had it not been Adam, it would have been you. Could have been me. See, God gave Adam a choice. Why? Because God knew that a world without choice would actually be worse than a world without pain. See, we were made for a relationship with God, and even God can have a relationship with robots. He had to give us a free will, a volition to choose him or reject him to worship him or walk away from him because had he not gave Adam a choice, his yes would have had no meaning. 
So God calculated ahead of time what he was going to do in response to Adam's sin as he was laying the foundations of the earth. Check it out. It says in Revelation chapter 13 that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, even as Jesus was laying the foundation of the world and speaking light into the darkness. He himself was being slain for the sins of the world. He had a plan. God's never wondered what he's going to do. No, Adam sinned, and the world is still reeling and this is where Jesus comes in Jesus comes in to complete the commission where Adam failed 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 45 calls Jesus the last Adam or the second Adam because God wants you to connect the dot to the first Adam and what he's teaching is that where Adam failed Jesus will fulfill where Adam's commission was canceled to establish this kingdom one day another king the true king the rightful king the last Adam will complete what the first Adam failed it says in Genesis 5:3 and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named himself one of the saddest verses in the Bible right here. Now, Adam had been created in whose image? God's. And he was to reproduce a race that would all bear whose image? God's. But now because of Adam's sin, he's died spiritually. He can no longer reproduce the image of God in his offspring. And this is why we are all, as sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, born in sin, fallen and desperate for redemption. Wasn't little Will cute? And wasn't he a sweet little guy? Now let me tell you about little Will. There's a little hellion inside of him. It's just a matter of time before little Will starts acting like the fallen son of Adam that he is. He's gonna, his first words when he starts to talk, guess what's it going to be? No! The second word he's going to say, mine. See, it's all built in. We're all born under Adam's fallen image. That's why Genesis 5, 3 might be the saddest words in the Bible. God is so specific, meticulous. Remember, I've created Adam in my image to reproduce my image in his offspring, a race that would be immortal, that would never ever die, yet holy like me that will bear my triune image. But he ate, he died spiritually, and now he can only pass on a death penalty to his posterity. He can no longer pass on life eternally. What will God do? God never ever wondered what he was going to do. God had a plan. Do you understand what Christmas is really all about? Christmas is about God's redemption of a kingdom and restoration of all creation. There are 61 Old Testament prophecies made specifically directly about this coming king that would come one day. And the very first of the 61 are in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Right after Adam sinned, God is pronouncing judgment on the serpent, Satan, the same one that rebelled against God between Genesis 1 and 1-2. And God has now judged him with darkness. He is now the prince of darkness And he knew what he had to do, get Adam to sin. His commission will be canceled. In Genesis 3.15, God is not on the ropes. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. He says, look, I'm going to put enmity, hostility between your seed and the woman's seed. Now, I don't know if you realize this biologically, the woman does not carry the seed. 
the man carries the seed. You know what God is promising here in Genesis 3.15? There's going to be a virgin-born redeemer, a virgin-born savior. One day, I'm going to send someone who's going to be like a man, yet unlike any other man. I'm going to bypass Adam's sin by bypassing Adam's seed. He's going to be the seed of the woman. Matthew chapter 2, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And that is why it had to be a virgin-born Savior, because had Jesus been born of a man's seed, he would have had man's sin and been like any other man. But 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men to walk among the sons of men, but he lived without sin so he could die for our sin. God became a man to become our sacrificial lamb, to reverse the curse of Adam's sin for all men and all women. He said, look, you're going to bruise his heel, speaking of the crucifixion, but three days later, he's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to crush your head. And 2,000 years ago, this little baby would grow up to be a serpent crusher. The God of galaxies would come like humanity, born in infancy, to reverse the curse of Adam's sin on all of creation. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of a king who will establish a kingdom without sin and without end. You see, God's plan is still intact. God will have a kingdom that will be without sin, that will be without end. What sin has delayed, sin has not denied. God will have that kingdom. And the last Adam, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, will reverse the curse of the first. And check this out, where Adam and Eve would have reigned over God's kingdom, the second Adam will now reign over God's kingdom, and you and I, the church, we are called the bride of Christ for a reason, because we are his Eve. And do you understand that in this coming kingdom, we will reign with Christ exactly as Adam and Eve would have had they not sinned? Revelation 5 and verse 10, and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 1 and verse 6, and we shall reign on the earth. I I don't know. I feel like I'm the only one that's excited about Christmas. See, until you understand the wonder of creation and God's plan for a kingdom, you can't really understand the wonder of Christmas. I I just need to say this. Parents, would you right now, just for safety's sake, put your hands over your children's ears if they're here. Just put your hands over their ears. You may not want them to hear what I'm about to say. Put Okay, everybody ready? Santa Claus is not coming. But Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And when he does, he's not coming back as a baby. No, he's not coming back in infancy. He's not coming back for a cross. He's coming back for a crown. And he's going to establish a kingdom that will be without end. 61 prophecies made about this king. We celebrate the birth of a king. 2,000 years later, God's promised Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, God's son. He is the one. Isaiah saw him 700 years B.C. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Notice something, God is so meticulous, so precise in the language. The child could be born, but the son had to be given. You know why? Because the son has always existed, 
from everlasting to everlasting. It was the Son of God that spoke light into the darkness at 186,000 miles a second at the speed of light. That is the power of God that left his mouth when he spoke light into the darkness. It was the light of God himself that put time in the earth in rotation around him before there was the sun. The light of Genesis 1 and verse 5, it is not the sun. That doesn't come till day 4. And like Genesis 1, 24. No, the light is himself, not the sun, S-U-N, but the sun, S-O-N. You see, everything revolves around him. He is the sun that's been from everlasting. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now I want you to notice something. It says the increase will be no end. It doesn't just say his kingdom will have no end. It says the increase of his kingdom will have no end. Did you know that astronomers know that that we live in a universe that is forever increasing, forever expanding, that at this very moment, God is creating. New stars are being born. New solar systems are being formed. You know why? Because in eternity future, God will do what he planned from the day he created Adam. There will be an eternal kingdom, not just in the new earth, but in the new heavens, in a forever expanding, increasing universe. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, forever and ever and ever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Remember, Romans 1.20 tells us that all of creation in some way speaks of this. All of creation in some capacity, tells us about the invisible things of God through what we can see. We learn about what we cannot see. This is another galaxy, 31 million light years away. What is the distance of a light year? 5.88 trillion miles. Now multiply that by 31 million. Do we have a big God or what? That makes us really small. Everybody says, amen, God is big. And then when I say, God, we're small, everybody sits there. We need to see God for who he is because only then can we see us for who we are. We have an enormous God. This is called the darling of astronomy. Astronomers love this galaxy. It's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. You can see why. And did you know that a few years ago, Hubble Telescope sent back what is the very center of this Whirlpool Galaxy and at the very center of this Whirlpool galaxy is a black hole. And when Hubble telescope sent back the picture, this is what it looked like. Romans 1.20. All of creation bears witness of the creator. And you know what God wants us to see? That he is more than our creator. He wants to be our savior. To save us from the ruin of sin, and not just us, but all of creation. This picture was taken by Apollo 17, 1972. 
Now, most of us by now have seen this a thousand times, and we're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that before. But think about this for just a moment. It's only been a little over 50 years that any human being had any idea what the earth like from outer space. One of the first images ever of our planet from outer space. Apollo 17, 1972. I want you to notice what you can see. If you know your geography, you can see, for example, Africa. You see the Sahara Desert. You see South Africa. You see over here the Sinai Peninsula. You can see Saudi Arabia. But what you cannot see is what God can see. See, what you can't see here is seven and a half billion people. What you can't see is all the pain, all the suffering all the ruin of sin, all the warfare, the wickedness, the injustice. But you see, when you look at the earth, you don't see what God sees. What God sees is all the people. It says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26, that God himself is numbered and named all the stars. And do you understand that God, who knows the names of all the stars, knows your name. Your name is known in heaven. He knows you personally. He sees your pain. He sees the suffering. And for this reason, Jesus came, the God of galaxies that came as humanity. From Genesis 1 and verse 1, John 1 1 puts it this way In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, of course, is the Son of God. Notice He was with God, and yet He is God because it's the triune God. He's speaking of the second person of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word. It was the Son of God, the Word of God in the beginning that spoke something from nothing. It was the Word of God, the Son of God in the beginning that spoke light into the darkness. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. In Genesis chapter one, God divided the darkness, but in John chapter one, God steps into the darkness. This is is what is happening 2,000 years ago. The light of God, the Son of God, the Word of God came, born of a virgin. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Imagine Jesus, the word of God the Son of God, the light of God, the creator of all that is. He comes to the world that he himself created. The world doesn't know him when he comes. He came to his own, speaking of the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But I've told you many times, some of the most important words in the Bible is but. Here's another important but, but. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You see, in Christ, you get back everything Adam lost in the garden. You get back the image of God. Your spirit is born again. You now have the triune nature of God like him. 
you now can be called a child of God. You become a member of the kingdom of God. You see, in the last Adam, you get back everything lost by the first Adam. But as many as received him, the question is, have you personally received him? By faith, have you received him? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. You see, we hear a lot of lies, completely erroneous in this day and age. Well, we're all God's children. No, 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 we're not. We're not all God's children. You see, you're born the first time as a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. Jesus twice said in John 3, you must be born again. A second birth, a spiritual birth to become a member of his family. Have you been born again? Have you personally received him? He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, not your physical birth. My bloodline is hopper. All I got for having a bloodline traced back to my father is the one he got from his father, and the one he got from his father traced back to his father, Adam. You know what that means? My family can't save me. My name can't save me. My mama and daddy couldn't save me. He says, born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh. It ain't religion. It's not a list of things you do for God that's gonna get you into heaven. It's not through self-determination, being a better person. It says, nor of the will of man, I can't do it for you no matter how much I might want to. He says, no, nor of the will of man but of God. You must be born of God by receiving the Son of God. And 2,000 years ago, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is what we celebrate at Christmas, that the God of galaxies took on humanity, fashioned himself as a man, but unlike any other man born of a virgin, so that he would be without sin, so that he could bring about our redemption from the largest things in the universe, like a black hole in the middle of a galaxy, to the smallest particles you cannot even see with a naked eye. God is screaming, I've come to save you, I've come to redeem you. I'm more than your creator, I want to be your savior. We're told of something called laminin that holds our bodies together. It's a protein molecule that is said to be like the rebar of the body. You can't see it unless you have an electron microscope, but I don't think it's a coincidence that this is exactly what it looks like under a microscope. This is what is holding your body together. This is what is holding even now the universe together. Romans 1.20, all of creation in some way points to the cross. And what God is trying to tell you today is that the God of creation is the God of our redemption. He took on flesh to bear the agony of the crucifixion to redeem all of creation, to establish this kingdom. The question is, have you received him? I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. Wherever you're watching from, wherever you're worshiping from, right here in this Lee Summit Auditorium, if you're not certain right now where you stand with God, today can be the day. 
what Jesus calls the new birth. By putting your faith in him, by putting your trust in him, by confessing your sin, that you need him. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith that you can pray with me right now, wherever you sit, wherever you are. And as soon as I say amen, if you're at one of the other campuses, I want you to look up. I want you to go to the platform. I want you to meet your pastor right there so he can pray with you. As soon as I say amen right here, I'm going to come off this platform. If you pray this with me, I want to talk to you right here before you leave. I just want to pray with you. If you're watching online, there's going to be a link you can go to. Somebody will follow up with you. Would you bow with me right now? Jesus, I pray for every man, every woman under the sound of my voice that today would be the day of salvation. And right now, if you're not certain of what you would see if you died today or where you would be, I want you to pray this simple prayer of faith with me. Right where you sit, and pray it under your breath. God will hear your prayer. The same God that has named all the stars knows your name. He's inviting you right now into his kingdom. Pray this with me. Jesus, I know that I've sinned. That I cannot get to heaven apart from you. And I'm not certain I've ever truly received you. But today, by faith, that is what I want to do. Let's pray this with me. Jesus, I confess my sin before you. That as a fallen son of Adam, a fallen daughter of Eve, that I need you. Would you forgive my sin? Would you come into my life? Come change me from within. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.